Father God, we thank you for Holly. Thank you for the thought and the time that she's put into this talk. But we pray that she, yeah, you might speak to us through her. Open our hearts to hear what she has to say, but also what you have to say to us, God. Yeah, may you speak to us and just pray you come now and be with Holly. Amen. Good morning. Are you happy for me to clutter this up with my stuff? Hello. Um, this is our second week in our series called Who Are We? And um, a series of talks thinking about our identity based on Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And um, my name is Holly, and I'm in Christ. And I hope that my being in Christ, my being a follower of Jesus, comes first before everything else that I am. I'm in Christ, and I'm a New Zealand and a British citizen. I'm in Christ, and I'm a mum and a wife. And I'm in Christ, and all the things that I am. <laughs> and Paul, in today's passage, does not want us to lose sight of our in Christness. <laughs> Um, if I can call it that, because it's what unites us as a church family. And I'm so thankful for you all. I'm so thankful that I get to have my spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ who challenge me, who love me, and who walk with me. And our title today, as you know, is We Are United. And I'm going to see if this is going to work. It's over there, apparently. There it is, very united. <laughs> what does it mean to be united? Well, really, it means to bring together for a common purpose, doesn't it? To form a whole. It's a connecting. It's a really great thing. It's a thing that we like. It's why we chat about the weather when we're out with strangers, because it's our common ground. We like to feel united. And it normally comes quite naturally to us to enjoy sharing together. In fact, there are some things I enjoy more I enjoy more for the shared experience than I do for the thing itself. Like, for example, I'm not a massive football fan, but I really enjoyed watching and sharing in the excitement of the Euros when England went through to the final. And I, I'm not one to know much about tennis, but I loved watching Emma Raducanu win the US Open. It was so exciting. And things like sport or music can really bring people together, can't they? So can mushrooms. <laughs> Last year, on our lockdown walks, I got into fungi, and I find myself in a Facebook group called Mushroom Spotters UK. <laughs> it's a really great group. My ecologists are on there, and they share their wisdom about, I don't know, when you'll see a certain fruiting mushroom appear in the woods, where to look, what kind of dead tree you need to have a look around the bottom of. Anyway, it's this newfound interest has united me with a very varied and diverse group of people online. When are the times where you have felt most united around a purpose? Did anyone here run the 10K recently in Bristol? Maybe someone at home has. <laughs> there were thousands of us down there. And that was a really uniting experience. It's been a while since we could get together and run together in the city because of the pandemic. And there was a great sense of unity as we queued for the portaloo, chatting and anticipating the start line time and sharing our snacks, that kind of thing. It was a real unifying experience. There is a unity in getting together with people who share our interests or share purpose, but there's a deeper and far more challenging call to unity that Paul is pleading with God's church to have. 
It's about more than just shared interest or purpose. It's about how in our unity, we are representing Jesus. We are being the body of Christ. It's our vision here at Highgrove and in the Woodlands group of churches that we're part of to be continually reproducing the life of Jesus. We want to be a light to this world. We want to demonstrate Jesus' love in our city where we live. God chose us. God chose us <laughs> to be like the hands and feet of Jesus as, and on earth as a witness to the world around us. And Paul, who wrote the letter that we'll be reading part of in a moment, understands without a doubt that the church is the body of Christ because he hadn't always been Apostle Paul. He had been notorious Saul, fierce in his persecution and killing of Christians before he encountered Jesus. On the road to Damascus, Jesus met him with a blinding light, bright enough to blind him for three days. And he heard this voice from heaven, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? asked Saul, lying flat on the ground. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, came the reply. So just months ago, Jesus had been killed. And in this holy encounter, Jesus is telling Saul that the people he is killing are himself, his own body. What hurt them hurt him. And Paul didn't forget it, and he became fierce instead for building the body of Christ for our encouragement. We are the body of Christ, woven together by God's spirit to represent Jesus as we do life together all over the world. It's the most exciting project we could possibly be part of as human beings. It's also a challenge. It was a challenge now. It was a challenge then for the early church. We're reading part of a letter written by Paul to the church in Corinth. And Paul has learned that the church there are experiencing some disunity. They've lost sight of their common purpose. Their in Christ identity is getting clouded by disagreement. We're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 16. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. <laughs> I really like that bit in brackets. It's like a glimpse into Paul's busy mind. He can't quite remember everything. It sounds a bit like me. Um, <laughs> what's important is he's saying, come on, guys. You're missing the point here. It isn't of great importance who baptized you, but who you were baptized to follow. It's all about Jesus. You are all in Christ. All these teachers and I, it's about him. That's what unites us. And when Sam introduced our series last week, he talked about how Corinth was a buzzing port city. 
It was a melting pot of ideas, a place where teachers and philosophers would get together and they would come to debate and to be heard. And in this culture, the mind and intellect were highly regarded. Who you listened to, whose ideas that you followed, that was really important. It was a talking point. So it seems that what's going on here is that this way of thinking, this culture was coming into the church People were dividing themselves by placing importance on what teacher they followed, even though all along they were teaching the gospel of Jesus, all of them. And I think we too can lose sight sometimes of who we are in Christ. We might not be bickering over who baptized us, but are there things that we carry from the culture around us into our lives, into our church community that don't strengthen our unity? I think we're in a culture where there is a celebration of individualism and success and there's this idea that we can do things our way do it on our own we might say things like I've got this or to encourage you know if we're trying to give ourselves a pep talk on on getting through a hard time we might say to someone else you've got this (laughs) the problem is it somehow implies that to need each other's help is a weakness and we do need each other And we need to walk with humility and honesty. It's been my experience in listening to people recently who aren't part of regular church life, that a barrier to them coming along is that they feel that they have to have it all together before they can come. (laughs) And we need to be mindful that as we get alongside people, you know... (laughs) we don't have it all together we need to let people know that too in the way that we're honest and keeping it real with each other and I think we do that really well here at Highgrove I think we need to carry on our loving welcome and the way that we get alongside people so that when people do come if they are in any way anxious when they come through that door that somehow they're not good enough they don't leave this place still holding that impression it's so important I might get emotional. I felt really strongly about this writing this talk this week. And don't wait to think, I've got this, before you come to church. It's a temptation, isn't it? Even if we've been part of the church family for ages, to pull away if we make mistakes or having a hard time. And sometimes it's out of pride, not wanting to show weakness. I'm just going to sort my pages out. I've just lost them. There we go. Sometimes it's out of pride, not wanting to show our weakness. Other times we just don't want to burden other people with our struggles. But we are told to bear with one another in love. Thank you, Nicola, for bearing with me, bringing me tissues. Paul told us in Romans 5.8 that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. God doesn't need us to make things right before we come to him. The way to get right with Jesus is simply to come to him. There's not a single one of us who has it all together, only that we are held together in the love and the grace of Jesus, who welcomes us each as we are. And we need to help build one another up in love. And wonderfully, Jesus doesn't just leave us as we are either. He will help us to grow more and more like him. And we will strengthen our unity as we walk with humility and honesty together. I've been reading this book by a chap called Joe, and it says this and I thought it was brilliant slowing down 
to walk with others isn't necessarily efficient. In fact, making time for community is often inconvenient. It's a lot of hard work and energy to be part of a small group during the school year or serve at a church or community group. It may bring you drama into your life that you don't think you have time for. You may have to sacrifice some good things in your life to make sure you have time and energy to invest in spending time with others. But trust me on this, building community is never a waste of time or energy. When I first read that, I teared up. <laughs> a theme of crying. It's okay. Um, <laughs> but it got me because it's so true, isn't it? It's really hard. And you know, there are some days where I feel I might have taken two steps backwards and not stepped forwards. <laughs> and although I know that God is at work, I doubt sometimes, am I really connecting with people effectively? Am I really making any difference here? And I have to trust God that he is at work. And he is. <laughs> he really is. And building community is never a waste of time or energy. If ever we had a year... <laughs> that made us realize the importance of getting together. It was last year, wasn't it? When the pandemic meant that we were limited to virtual gathering. Yet it still takes a commitment and a choice to prioritize our meeting together now that we can. We are stronger together. When we distance ourselves, we are more prone to the attack of the enemy. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5.8, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I met a hunter once. I think his name was Brent. <laughs> it was day five or six of a hike out in Fiordland. And I've been hiking all day probably about eight or nine hours. It was a really long trek. And uh, there was this guy <laughs> dressed in like brown and dusty green clothing and some big rifle. And I remember it mostly because I was a bit terrified. <laughs> but he was actually a nice chap. As our socks and boots hung up to dry near the fire, um, we played cards and we talked about life. And he told me a bit about his lifestyle and he told me a bit about hunting. And the... <laughs> He said that he said that hunters, like that line in the verse from Peter, they go after the one animal that breaks away from the rest of the flock because that's when they're most vulnerable. And that verse from Peter describes our spiritual vulnerability to attack when we aren't sharing in life and fellowship with other believers. And it stuck with me. Have you heard this phrase? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. As life picks up pace and we adjust to new routines again, we've got to make time for fellowship. We need people in our lives. Friendship is such a blessing. I love my small group. We share some really deep and serious chats. This week we discussed our favorite biscuits. <laughs> but we also shared the things that we really struggle with and we prayed for each other. And we shared stories of how God's been really faithful and at work in our lives. And I am so thankful every time I walk away from small group that I get to do life with them, that they encourage me, that they build me up. I want to go further, and my small group helped me to do that. Find your flock, your herd of people that you can get together and be honest with. Vulnerability in the presence of God's people brings victory and life. These spaces where we trust and share what's on our hearts is where God, through the body of Christ, through us, brings healing strength and encouragement to our faith. Another divisive thing about our success 
is in our in our culture, our success-focused culture, is that it can lead to unhealthy comparison. We see outward appearances, but we don't often understand people's whole reality, especially online. Take social media. I enjoy it, but it only gives a partial picture of reality. When everybody's best snapshots of life are out there, we can feel a bit alone in our own struggles. We compare our lived experience against what appears to be everyone else's displays of success, and we can be tempted to feel failure. Life looks better in other people's shoes sometimes. But everyone's carrying different struggles and different blessings, and we can only truly live and walk in our own shoes. You can only walk in your own shoes. I think I missed a few. There we go. Your situation, your life, the stuff that you're not putting out there, God knows it all, and he can work with that. When I was running the 10K, I was less contented when I started comparing my efforts to those of other people around me. There were people, other runners were overtaking me all the time. (laughs) They looked so energetic as they whizzed by. And good for them. But when that little bit of comparison comes in, I started thinking, I'm just so slow. I must look like a sweaty wreck. And it doesn't really matter if I did, does it really? Because we were all running the same direction. We all had the same purpose to get to the finish line. Comparison robs us of our joy because it focuses on the difference rather than the shared goal. I had to draw my focus back to maintaining the pace that I knew I could sustain to get to the end. We're all running the same direction, but I could only go at my pace. I could only run in my own shoes. We're each uniquely gifted and have a shared purpose in the body of Christ too. Do we take any negative comparison like that into church? Oh, that person is so good at leading worship, I couldn't possibly do anything like that. That person seems to pray and have all the right words. I don't know if the way I pray is okay. Let's encourage one another to take steps forward in faith as we each learn and live out being church family together. Instead of comparison, can we ask ourselves positive questions like, what passions and skills do I have that I need to grow in and practice? How is my experience, my story even, something God can use to encourage others with? And if you're not sure what those things are, ask a trusted friend to tell you, because sometimes we can see the spiritual gifts in others more clearly than we can in ourselves. Different parts are needed to make the united body of Christ. And the part that you have in this family is vital. In speaking about our spiritual gifts later on in this chapter, Paul says that there's many different parts but one body. And they're all needed for the healthy functioning of the body and everyone contributes to our unity. What do we do when our differences lead to disagreements? Some of us may have been wounded by experiences where there was not unity. How do we respond to disagreements with fellow Christians so they don't become divisions? When opinions clash, do we dig in our heels and try to win the argument? Or do we listen and pray and seek advice? Seek peace, I mean. (laughs) When actions or words upset us, do we stay offended and let it fester? Or do we pray and we go and have an honest chat with that person? I think if we acted wrongly, you know, if we think we've acted wrongly, do we go and make an effort to find that person and put things right? 
Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.3, that we must make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, we really have to work at our bond of peace and keep working at it. Maintaining unity requires effort. We're in a spiritual battle too. Given how wonderful our unity is in showing how great Jesus is to this world, Satan must hate it. He hates our unity. His goal is to create division. So if there's anything causing you to hold a grudge or any bitterness going on toward anyone, then that needs to be nipped in the bud. It needs some prayerful action. Start with humility and prayer. And we all need to do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. It's only by God's Spirit at work in us and through us that enables us to be united. Jesus said to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you. We're like broken pots. None of us are perfect. But God chooses to fill us, to work in us and through us. And the only way to keep a broken pot full is to keep it under the tap. We need to stay in the flow of the Holy Spirit. We've got to remain in God's word and in his truth. And I want to finish by just sharing this description of church that Philip Yancey wrote. I think it's really powerful. The body of Christ becomes an overarching new identity that breaks down barriers of race and nationality and gender and makes possible a community that exists nowhere else in the world. Simply read the first paragraph from each of Paul's letters to diverse congregations scattered throughout the Roman Empire. They are all in Christ. And that matters even more than their race or economic status or any of the other categories humanity may devise. Church is the place where I celebrate that new identity and work it out in the midst of people who have many differences but share this one thing in common. We are charged to live out a kind of alternative society before the eyes of the watching world. What a project we have been given to show the world what true unity is really about. So these are the four points. We've got to walk with humility and honesty. We've got to walk together to go further. We really need each other. Walk in your own shoes, not someone else's. We need to stop comparing. <laughs> and walk in step with the Holy Spirit as we keep the bond of peace. And maybe this morning you're feeling a bit less certain of your identity, doubtful of what part you could play. I just really want you to be encouraged this morning that you do have a real part in the family of God. You are loved, you are accepted, you just need to come as you are. We'd love to get to know you and we'd love to help you and affirm you. Maybe you've been in Christ for a long time and you feel really confident in that. And maybe you need to feel the challenge of, of what, what can you do that's going to help this place to be the most welcoming place it can possibly be? How can we really be building and deepening our friendships? How can we be other, welcoming others into the community? Are there ways you can get involved in getting alongside people? Jesus prayed, when he prayed for the church, he prayed for unity. In John 17, 
he said this, I have given them the glory that you gave me, he's talking about church, that they may be one as we are one in them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. It'd be great to pray together, to pray for everyone. So I'll do that now. I don't know if the band wants to come up and, and get ready. But yeah, if that's you this morning and you feel challenged, um, open out your hands just to receive the Holy Spirit if you'd like to do that as I pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you chose us. We recognize that we are like broken pots and yet by your Holy Spirit, Lord, you choose to fill us and walk through, work through us to show your love to the world around us. Thank you that you prayed for us, that you want us to be united. Holy Spirit, help us to do that. Bond us together by your spirit, Lord. Help us live life knowing that we are yours, that our identity, who we are, is in Christ. We are saved and we are in Christ. Thank you for your friendship, Lord. Help us to become more like you, Father God, slow to anger and rich in love. Help us become a true reflection of who you are to the world around us. Holy Spirit, come.